You're listening to the podcast of Anthem Church in Columbia, Missouri. For more information, visit us online at anthemcolumbia.com. All right, good morning, guys. Uh, hearing Luke mention vomit this morning is not ideal. Um, <laughs> my wife and kids aren't here because uh, that's what our life has been the past week. Since we have uh, six kids and they all take just passing the vomit baton to one another. <laughs> It's like, I'll take Monday, and then I'll, yeah, I'll punch out, and then you can punch in on Tuesday. And they all have their shifts. And then uh, last night, we thought we were in the clear, so we're like, we're going to get to go to church in the morning. And then all of a sudden, at 10 o'clock, you hear, like, that wretch sound, you know, coming from back of the hallway, like, <laughs> So, yeah, so we haven't slept at all. <laughs> and I've washed all the vomit off, so. <laughs> but there's been a lot of vomit on my hands this week, and my wife has taken the brunt of it, so be praying for us. Um, so, yeah, we're in Jonah 3 this morning. Um, you can open up there. That's what we do here at Anthem is work our way uh, through books of the Bible, and we find ourselves in Jonah 3. And one of the major themes, one of the motifs that is present in the book of Jonah is, if you've noticed, maybe you haven't, but you'll pick up on this, is Jonah, or God sends things, right? So we've seen God sending stuff. So in chapter 1, he sends a prophet, he sends a great wind, and then he sends a fish. Uh, next week, in chapter 4, we'll see he sends a plant, and he sends a worm, and he sends another wind. And this morning in Jonah chapter 3, we're going to see he's sending stuff. He's up to the, his regular business of sending things. And this morning he's going to send the prophet again. And then he's going to send a message. Um, and in the book of Jonah, when God is sending these things, when he tells the wind to go, it goes. He tells the fish to eat Jonah. No, as the reader, you're not like, I wonder if the fish will do it. Will the fish eat him? It does what the fish does what God tells it to do. When God tells the wind to go, when God appoints a wind, does the wind do as the reader, are we like in suspense? Like, I wonder what the wind will do. Will it listen to God or not? No, the wind doesn't. In the next chapter, we'll see when he tells the plant to grow up. We don't sit as the reader and wonder, what's the plant going to do? Is it going to rebel? You're like, no, I'm going to stay in the ground. I like being a seed. It's fun. No, like, we don't wonder that. The only variable in the story is people. And every time God tells a person to do something, we're on the edge of our seats. What are they going to do? Is he going to go? What's Nineveh going to do when God sends a message to them? What are they going to do? And this morning, we are the variable. We are the variable. What are we going to do? God speaks. God sends. Are we going to go? Are we going to listen? How are we going to respond? We are the variable that's up, that's up for grabs in these stories. And so as we turn to Jonah chapter 3, I'm just going to read the whole story, and then we'll turn around and unpack it, but let's see like, what happens here. The only question going into this chapter is God sends him again, and he sends a message. What's going to happen? What are the people going to do? And so we read in Jonah chapter 3, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days journey in breath. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh, By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast Herd nor flock taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. 
and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. So how did they respond? Jonah went. He actually went. He actually did what God told him to do, and Nineveh repented. Jonah went, and Nineveh repented, and both of those are miracles. You understand? The fact that Jonah is alive to go anywhere is a miracle at this point. The man was thrown into the ocean in a violent storm, and like Luke said, remember last week, like this, like the spider that you just keep squishing? Like, it's like he's in the water, he's drowning, and then a fish eats him. It's like, game over, right? That guy's, he gone. <laughs> you know, like, like Jonah chapter 3 would be like, so then, moving on, this guy's dead at the bottom of the sea or being digested or something. The fact that he's even alive to go anywhere is a miracle. And then the fact that that guy this time actually goes is now a miracle, because the guy the first time you know, he said, arise, go to Nineveh. And he's like, or, or the other way. <laughs> you know, God's like, look, I want you to go to Nineveh. He's like, hey, I heard you. I'm not confused. It's very clear. But let's maybe do something else. The fact that this guy is now going is a miracle. God has done something in this guy's life. Because his first response was very different. And the entire city of Nineveh converts and believes in God. Now, understand the miracle. that, And that might be the greatest miracle in the entire book. The fact that a city of 120,000 people heard the message and all of them believed. That's roughly the size of Columbia. Can you imagine all of Columbia within a three-day period hearing the gospel and being like, yeah, let's roll with that. The entire city converts in a three-day period. That's a miracle of just epic proportions, the fact that that would happen. Now, if we were called, or like, let's say we're called, for example, to convert the city of Columbia... Let's say, for example, that maybe we were called to do that and try and reach the city. What would be your plan? You'd be like, I'm probably going to need some help. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a large city. I don't, know, I don't know how large Columbia is in terms of walking distance. That's not really a measurement we use anymore. <laughs> it's like saying, like, it's four days as the crow flies. You're like, I don't know. Is that long? Is that big? <laughs> like, how long does it take a crow to fly? I don't know. <laughs> um, to say something is three days, it's like, well, is Jonah, a, is he like, you know, a fast runner? Is he one of those Olympic people who walks, you know, like crazy? Or is he like a casual pace? I don't know. But it's, it's big enough. I mean, 120,000 people live there, and they weren't living on top of each other, so I'm guessing they were spread out. Um, so I don't know how big Columbia is, but if you were going to reach it, you would need help. That's probably the first thing you would do is recruit some people to help you. Yet we see God's plan here is one person. God's plan is to send one man into a city the size of Columbia. Our plans are often very different in the way that God would do it. This is not prescriptive. I'm not saying this is how we should do it, to send one guy off to random cities and hope for the best. But I'm just saying God's ways are not often our ways, and the way that we would think to do something is very different. And he sends one guy, and not even a very good one. <laughs> like, like, if you're going to send one person, wouldn't you probably find the best person available? He picks the guy that's still currently covered in vomit. <laughs> He's like, yeah, eeny, meeny, miny, vomit guy. <laughs> like, he doesn't even find the best person available to him. He finds this guy, the guy who disobeyed the first time. And look at, you know, so just verse 1, Luke pointed out, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. The fact that God has to repeat himself says something about Jonah, doesn't it? Like the fact that the God who made everything, the world, the fish, the ocean, said something to you, and you're like, yeah, no. <laughs> The fact that he's having to tell you again says something about you. The fact that you don't listen is more reflective of who you are 
the fact that it's something, says something about Jonah, who he is as a person that God has to repeat himself. The one who made him has to get his ear and be like, hey, hey, eyes on me, Jonah. Hey, hey, buddy, hey. It's God speaking. Pay attention the first time, right? He's owed that. But listen, the fact that God is willing to repeat himself says something about God, doesn't it? I mean, the first thing says something about us. We're the kind of people that don't pay attention even to God. But the fact that God is willing to repeat himself, isn't that just a sign of grace and mercy that God would be willing to? He's not, he, you're not owed a, a, him to repeat it. He said it clearly. He said it plainly. There's no reason why Jonah should have been confused. He didn't have to repeat himself, but he did because he's gracious and he's merciful. And I think it says something else about it too. It says God doesn't give us meaningless commands. If it was important the first time, it didn't stop being important. Does that make sense? Like if God told him go to Nineveh and he's like, no, I don't want to do that. It's like, well, moving on, I guess. Let's find something else for Jonah to do. He's not going to learn that lesson. Like Jonah's not like, or God's not like, like school. Like, you know, if you're like 16, you can't be in fourth grade anymore. At some point they're just like, Move them along. I don't know. <laughs> like, I don't, I, you, if you don't pass your test, at some point, they still move you along. You can't be a 16-year-old in fourth grade. <laughs> They're just like, I don't know. He, he doesn't get it, but he's too old to be here. <laughs> like, you can't be 25 and be a senior in high school. You know, it's like, yeah, you're going to have to move on. I don't know. You can't be here anymore. God doesn't give us meaningless commands. He doesn't just give us things and then be like, well, Evan didn't do it, so I don't know. Move on to the next thing. I don't know. Evan's never going to get it. If it was important enough for God to tell you to do it, it didn't stop being important to him. If you didn't do it, that's on you, but it's still important. So whatever that thing is that God has called you to do that you've put off, you blew it, you screwed up, you did the wrong thing, you did the opposite thing, it's still important. If God took his time to tell you to do it, it is still important. So our plans are often different than God's. We would try and get help, send more people, but he sends one person, but he doesn't send him alone. Did you see he sent him with something? He gave him a message. So he did give Jonah something to work with. He gave him a message. We see that in verse 2. It says, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So he didn't just send Jonah and be like, well, go figure it out. Go make friends and influence people. Um, he gave him a message. He gave him something specific to tell them. And this is where I think where a lot of us would probably get either really too creative or too cowardly. Right? God gives you a message. He, he tells you clearly what to say. And you're like, I can't tell Nineveh that. Have you seen Nineveh? They're never going to believe that. I can't tell them that. Maybe I could sweeten it up a bit. Maybe I could sugarcoat it a little bit. I could get a little creative. I could add some like sugar to it. Because I've heard somewhere that a teaspoon of sugar helps the medicine go down. And it's rough. It's gonna, this is a rough message. Hey, 40 days and you're all going to die. Maybe we could soften that up a bit. I don't know. <laughs> like, maybe we could add a little Splenda, even if they're, you know, maybe they're on a diet. I don't know. Like, maybe we could, like, sweeten it up a little bit for them, make it go down better. We get creative, and we try and sweeten it just to, like, make it a little different because we think we might win people over better if it had a little more sweetness to it. Or we get cowardly, and we take stuff away from it. So we either add sugar to it, we sweeten it, or we soften it. But, like, let's, that's edgy telling a bunch of people that in 40 days they're going to die and face God is too much. Let's, let's soften that up a bit. And so we soften it. We get cowardly and we take away from the clear message that God has set us to repeat to others. And so we have to have confidence in the message that God has given us to proclaim. Rest in obedience, not in results. Let God do with his message what he wants. But if we change his message, we don't know what we're winning. 
Like if I change the gospel at work in order to, to better suit a friend next to me, if they believe it, I don't know what they've believed. I haven't won them to God. I've won them to my, I've won them to me. I've, I've convinced them to believe something that I want them to believe. We're just news reporters. That's why the gospel is called good news. Just be a reporter. Just report the news. We report what you decide. I don't know. <laughs> but, but like just report the news. Like just tell the news. Let the chips fall where they may, but trust in the confidence of God's message. Report the news. And we see in verse 4 what the message was that God gave to Jonah. We have no reason to believe that he uh, didn't say what God told him to do. Uh, because we know a little bit about Jonah, he probably wasn't like embellishing it, trying to win them over. We'll see that later, that he's just saying what he's probably the bare minimum <laughs> of what he had to say. And so the, the message he said was, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Those of you who have lunch plans would have at least appreciated the brevity of the message. <laughs> You're like, I got a, a booth of Applebee's burning a hole in my pocket. Pastor went long today. <laughs> like, if I just stood up here and said, yep, 40 days, Columbia will be overthrown. Let's pray. <laughs> you would have at least been like, well, I guess I'm getting to my thing on time. <laughs> like, that was short. I don't know what I'm supposed to do with that. Um, but it does, like, beg the question, right? Like, what would you do if you had 40 days left to live? Somebody walks through and says, 40 days, you're done, Doug King, 40 days. You got 40 days on the clock, ready? Go. Tick, tick, tick. What are you doing with 40 days? <clears throat> That's you. You hear that. That's exactly what these people heard. Yet 40 days and your whole life is going to be overthrown. Everything you've worked hard for. Nineveh is a great city. It's great. It's big. It's prosperous. They've worked hard to build what they have whatever their 401ks are, everything that they've worked hard for, all of it in 40 days, it's over. I don't care what kind of greatness it is, however great it is, it's, it's done in 40 days. And in some ways, that is us. Like, your 40 days not, might not be a literal 40 days, but your time is ticking. The clock is ticking. St. Boniface said it this way. He's like, I will die right on time. <laughs> Nothing you can do will extend your life a second longer. Nothing you can do will make it shorter. God, you, you have a, a destiny, a date. And whatever your 40 days is, it might be less than 40 days. It might be four hours. It might be 40 years. Whatever it is, time is ticking. And that is not new information. We should know that. We should come to terms with it and face it. And, but then ask ourselves the question, what are we going to do with our 40 days? One, one uh, strategy is the live it up strategy, right? <laughs> I got 40 days on the clock. I mean, all of a sudden, like, all, all the things that kept you from doing stuff before, like, I don't want to smoke cigarettes because I want to get cancer. Cancer? 40 days? You're not going to get cancer in 40 days. Get after it. <laughs> you know, all the things that timidity kept you from doing? Like, right now, some of you are not doing stuff because you're scared of what would happen. And all of a sudden, if you were told you had 40 days to live and the consequences are done, you'd probably get yourself into some stuff. The only thing keeping you from doing it is that you're scared of it. You're like, I don't want to get cancer. I don't want to smoke. Or I don't want to have cirrhosis, so I'm not going to drink myself into oblivion, whatever. But you had 40 days, you're like, cirrhosis? Who's going to get cirrhosis in 40 days? And if, even if I do, I'm dead in 40 days. What do I care? Timidity is keeping some of you from doing stuff. And that was me. I was not a good person <laughs> back in, in high school and college. I might have looked like it on my resume, but I wasn't a good person. I was a scared person. I didn't want to have sex because I was worried about AIDS and all that stuff. So I was just, I was scared. That was the thing that was restraining me, not by morality, I wasn't a good person. I was scared of what, I don't want to get, like people, drunk people make me nervous. I don't like being around them because they always want to fight me for some reason. <laughs> or fight somebody. I mean, and it's usually me. 
I remember like one time, yeah, a guy like was convinced I had stole his hat. And I'm like, dude, I am not wearing a hat. <laughs> like, how, like, where did I put your hat? Ugh. I'm just like, because when you're the sober guy at the party, like, I don't know if they like zero in on you. It's like, hey, I don't trust you guy who's not drunk. <laughs> like, I don't know. But all that to say, timidity was keeping me from doing stuff. Maybe that's keeping you from doing some stuff. There's some things you would do if, if, the, con- if, if you, the consequences are what scares you, not the morality of it. And if those were all of a sudden lifted, and you kind of had carte blanche, like bucket list time, some of that stuff is seeping back in because you're like, what does it matter? I only got 40 days anyways. And we see that in uh, uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 32. I have it on a slide for you. Paul kind of applies this logic where he's uh, talking about the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And he says, if the dead are not raised... Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Like, if there's no hope, if there's nothing, if you got 40 days, and the only thing you have waiting for you is you're going to be overthrown by God, and it's only going to get worse from here, then you better wring out as much joy out of the next 40 days as possible. And like I said, 40 days doesn't have to be 40 days. It can be 40 years. But if that's your approach to life, is like, this is as good as it's ever going to get, so let's just wring this baby out. Let's get every ounce of joy out of this, because after this, I'm just worm food or whatever it is that you think, but there's no hope waiting for you on the other side of that. So that's your strategy. Just do whatever floats your boat for the next 40 days, 40 years, until the time ticks out. But another strategy I think people employ, it's kind of similar, but it's, it's the uh, wait until day 39 approach, <laughs> right? <laughs> I know that I should stop dot, 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 but I'm not gonna do that until I'm married or when I have kids then I'll straighten out. I know I should be reading my Bible. I should be going to bed at a decent time. I should stop drinking so much. I should stop, but I'm young. I mean, whatever. My strategy is someday I will do all those important things. Someday, when I'm married, when I have kids and they're looking to me as an example, then it will be important. But for now, what's at stake? What does it matter? And so you kind of take the 11th hour Hail Mary approach to it. It's like, I'm just praying that I get really, that my, my, my death is like allows me that deathbed repentance opportunity. That's my strategy. That's my go-to move. Is I'm just going to live my life and then get right up to the end and be like, God, I'm sorry. <laughs> Clear, done, you know? Like that's my strategy in life is to just continue to do the bad things that I know I shouldn't be doing, but I have some kind of arbitrary kind of deadline that's somewhere out in the future. And at that point, I will change, but I'll, I'll slip in. That's my strategy is to slip into heaven, you know, like my heel's still on fire. <laughs> it's like, whoa, that was close. <laughs> you know, then you get the best of both worlds, right? You get to live it up here and go to heaven. Like, isn't that ideal? That's not the strategy that I would advise. And I don't, because first of all, it's not even, you're not guaranteed that opportunity. And second of all, here's the more important thing. If you can't bring yourself to repent today, like you just can't bring, I know I should, I just can't bring myself to do it. What makes you think it'll be easier 40 days from now? You'll only be 40 days more used to it. You'll only be 40 years more a habit. If you can't bring yourself to do it today, when you know you're supposed to, what makes you think it will be easier later? It's only going to get harder, I promise you, because you'll only be more used to it. It'll be more part of your life, more a habit. And things, hard things, when you put them off, don't get easier. They stay hard things. You imagine future self has done the hard thing. That's why you like him so much. He's such a good guy. <laughs> you know, like her future you, like he's, she's such a good lady. She's already done all the hard things that I don't want to do. <laughs> and so you applaud future self who's done all the hard stuff 
And in the meantime, current you isn't willing to pay those costs because that sounds really hard. Maybe it'll get easier tomorrow. It won't. It won't. Waiting until day 39 to repent is not evidence that that's truly going on. And if you can't do it now, you won't on day 39. You won't magically all of a sudden have all this uh, ability to care right at the very end and convince yourself to change. And even if you do, will it be genuine? Can you trust that you really have changed? And you think that like, God's going to be like, God is not mocked. You think he's going to be like, oh, wow, well, I mean, he said the abracadabra right at the last second. Dang it. <laughs> I wanted to send him to hell, but he was so close. <laughs> and he squeaked in. You think that's how God works, like that he's just up there like, well, he said the right words. He said Jesus, so I guess he's in. That's not how it works. That's, that's a bad strategy. And either way, time is ticking. It's on the clock. So what do we see um, in here? This, this idea of 40, I don't know if you're, if you're familiar with the Bible or not. 40 is a motif that the Bible uses a lot. Um, it comes up, and it's a motif of testing. It's a time for faithful people to endure and a time for r- wicked people to repent. It's, you see this all throughout the Scripture. And so we, we, ha- we don't, in our culture, we don't have this particular motif, but we have other ones. So like if I were to say, okay, imagine a dusty road with tumbleweeds blowing down, and there's dust swirling everywhere, and there's like a main path down the main street, and there's people crouching and hiding behind wooden doors. What's about to happen? I heard somebody say, yeah, there's a shootout, right? Somebody's about to get shot. <laughs> like, it's a Western motif. If you hear that, <laughs> like somebody's getting shot, <laughs> or at least shot at. I mean, it depends how good of a shot they are, I guess. <laughs> Guns are going to be shot here. But we have this motif. All you have to do is like put that image in your head and show like a dusty country road with a tumbleweed and people crouching behind doors looking out the window, and you're like, oh, I know what's about to happen, a shootout. It's, we have those motifs too. We just don't have this particular one. So if you were... Uh, a student or like just a, a person who's familiar with Hebrew literature, the second you see the word 40, you're like, uh-oh, a trial's coming, testing, a time of trial's coming. And I'm just going to give you a few examples. Noah reigned 40 days, 40 nights. Moses was in the desert for 40 years. Moses was on the Mount Sinai for 40 days. Moses, along with the Israelites, wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. Um, Elijah ran from Jezebel 40 days, 40 nights. Goliath taunted Israel 40 days, 40 nights. Jesus fasted 40 days, 40 nights. It's all over. And that's, that's not even half of them. Just they're, they're, It's all over the Bible. 40 is a time of testing. It's a time of testing. And here we see it's a warning and an opportunity. Because the fact that God gives you 40 days means that there's an opportunity to do something. He doesn't owe you a heads up. <laughs> it's not like, hey, guess what? I'm God. You're going to have to deal with me a little bit. Like, he doesn't have to do that. <laughs> he could just be like, yeah, game over. Jonah, done. Nineveh, done. He doesn't need to send a message, but the fact that he tells them 40 days means that they have an opportunity to do something with that 40 days. There's an opportunity to respond, to do something with that. And what did Nineveh do with their opportunity? We see in verse 5, it says, and the people of Nineveh believed God. They believed God. They didn't believe in God. They believed him. They believed him as a person. They believed that he had the right to do what he was doing. They believed God, not just in him. And I have a slide here, James 2.19. There's a big difference between believing in God and believing him. And that's what Nineveh did. Nineveh believed God, not just in him. James 2.19 says it this way. It says, you believe that God is one, you do well. Like, good work. Awesome. <laughs> like, you believe that God's real. Good for you. <laughs> like, that's awesome. Good job. Uh, but before you get too busy congratulating yourself, <laughs> read the rest of the verse. Even the demons believe and shudder. Like the, believing that God is real is not to your credit. 
The demons know that God's real. And at least they have the wherewithal to kind of like shudder a little bit about it. At least they have the wherewithal to be like, ooh, God, ooh, I don't, ooh that, that makes me a little nervous. Because <laughs> they know for a fact that God is real. But has that changed the demons' lives? Does it make them live in his will? Are they repentant? No. So just if that's your strategy, is I believe in God, that gets me in. Believing in God is not the end goal. It's believing him. And Nineveh believed God. They believed that God was justified in what he was doing. They didn't argue. When he said, yep, 40 days and you'll be overthrown, they'll be like, whoa, no, look, I mean, we're not, no, we're not that bad. I mean, I'm sure Nineveh was like, you know, Hitler's worse than us. I mean, like, like everybody knows that Hitler's worse than whoever you are. So even Nineveh knew that back then. They're like, I'm sure some guy's coming down the pike who's going to be way worse than us. Like, we can't be the gold standard. Nobody compares themselves to Nineveh. No, they know Hitler's coming and he'll be the gold standard for the worst you can possibly get in life. They didn't do that. They didn't argue with him. They didn't argue that he had the right to do it. They didn't say, like, well, who are you to judge me? Who are you to make the rules and then apply them to my life? Where do you get off telling me what I should be doing with my life? Nothing. They said, I believe you. You're right. We're wrong. We're wrong. We believe you. And, and listen, like, the word even got to the king. Like, Jonah's only a day into it, and it starts spreading. The people are believing, and they're sharing it with their neighbors. And it gets all the way to the king, verse 6. It says, the word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. The king of all Nineveh, the, 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 one of the strongest nations in the world, like the only person above the king conceivably was God. No person could tell the king what to do. Nobody had authority over him whatsoever. The king of all Nineveh repents, believes God, and he, he leaves his throne do you see that? He got off his throne and sat down in ashes. He took off his robes and put on sackcloth. Are you still on the throne of your life this morning? Are you on the throne? It's my life. I do what I want. It's my life. At the end of the day, I know that you have opinions about it, and I, and I want to care about those, but I care about mine more. I care about my life, and I have a better plan for my life than you do. And it's my life, my throne. The king of Nineveh left his throne. He got off. He vacated it. He said, my life is better run by God than myself. And he took off his robes and his, his signs of outward adornment, the things that make him look good. He took off and said, none of it matters. If the God of the universe has told me that I only have 40 days left to live, I'm going to, with all my heart, plead with that one God to have mercy on me, a sinner. He took off his outward adornment, all the things that make him look good in the eyes of other people, and he went and sat in dust and ashes. Look at his plea in verse 9. He's doing all this. He calls all of Nineveh to repent. He even calls the cows to fast, which I don't know like, what that's going to accomplish, but I mean, it's like, if, I mean, in our days, it'd be like calling everybody's pet dogs, I guess, to like, like, your dogs can't even eat. Just like, everybody's fasting. Nobody's eating anything. And then you look at verse 9. He says, who knows? Who knows? Maybe. God will turn and relent from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. We deserve it. If God does what we deserve, we are done for. But Nineveh saw 40 days as an opportunity to try and turn the heart of God away from what they knew they'd earned. They knew they deserved it. They're like, I got 40 days. Who knows? Maybe there's a chance for us. 
And like, do you hear like the heart, the desperate plea of this king to be like, who knows? Let's give it all we got, guys. We've got 40 days. We could do the whole live it up strategy. It's like 40 days, let's Mardi Gras this thing. <laughs> like, let's just get after it. I mean, like, we only got 40 days left anyways. Who cares? Or like, or we do care, so let's just ring it out. Or, or he could have said, you know, like, what, repent now. Okay, 40 days. When, when did he say that? On Tuesday? Anybody got a calendar? When's day 40? <laughs> let's live it up, and then I declare a fast day 39. But he didn't do that. He said the moment he heard it, he vacated his throne. He said, we only have 40 days left to beg God to forgive us. Because who knows? Maybe there's a chance. Maybe there's a chance for us yet. And listen, this morning, the question is not who knows. Who knows? We do. We know. We know what the king of Nineveh only hoped and pleaded for with all this heart. We know for a fact that forgiveness is available. We don't have to wonder, will God, will God turn from his fierce anger and wrath? Will he? I don't know, but I'm just going to give it my whole life. I'm just going to strive and do everything he says and on the hope that maybe, just maybe, he won't do the evil to me that I deserve in response to the evil that I've done. We know for a fact because Jesus died. We know for a fact that forgiveness is available and it's an option for people who put their trust in him. You don't have to spend your life wondering what happens at the end of it. Who knows? I'll give it my best shot and maybe God will let me in. The king of Nineveh was worried that they would perish. So he was doing everything he could so that they might not perish. John 3.16 says it this way. We know for a fact that there is hope. You've seen this in your neighborhood end zone. But this verse means something more than touchdowns. <laughs> it means this. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. The king of Nineveh's heart was, who knows? Maybe God will turn and we won't perish. Who knows? Maybe if we give it everything we have, maybe, just maybe we can convince God to take his foot off the accelerator. Maybe we can take the finger off the self-destruct button. Maybe he might let us live, survive. We know for a fact that those who put their faith and hope in Jesus will receive forgiveness. So the question this morning is not who knows what God will do. The question is who will repent because of what God has done. You don't have to spend your life wondering, what will God do? Who knows? I don't know. I'm going to give it my best shot. You can say, who will repent and receive for sure, for certain, for a fact, what God has already done in Jesus. We know for a fact. We began this morning wondering, people are the variable, right? What's Jonah going to do? God called him again. Is he going to go this time? What's Nineveh going to do when God tells him, I'm mad at you, and in 40 days you're done for? We saw how they responded. How are we going to respond? What's your response this morning? We're the variable. The weather is exactly the temperature outside it's supposed to be. Not a degree hotter or cooler. What are we going to do? What are you going to leave here doing this morning? And so what we want to do this morning is something a little bit unorthodox. If you're new here, we don't do this every week. <laughs> but today we're going to do something a little different. I want you guys, in, as you close up your Bibles or your apps or whatever, I want you to close your eyes and bow your heads. And we're going to give a chance for actual response, for tangible response to the message. I think... Sometimes we get caught up in like the, the abstract of like, yes, I feel something in my heart and I feel like I should do something, but we don't always physically involve our bodies in, in that response. And so this morning, I want everybody's heads bowed and eyes closed, and we're going to give 
you a chance, and again, this isn't something we do every day, but I feel like it's important given the nature of the message to give people a tangible chance to physically respond in some form to what God is saying. God is calling people like Ninevites who've only up until this point perhaps believed in God to repent, to place their trust and hope in Jesus, to repent, like yet 40 days. There is a chance left for you. As long as there's a life left in your lungs, there is a chance this morning. There's still time left. The question is not, is there time? It's what are you going to do with the time? Not who knows what might happen here, but who will repent because of what God has for certain done. And we want to give people the chance to do that. And with eyes closed and heads bowed, if you are one of those people, perhaps for the, this morning, like, I trust entirely in the word of God. I believe that it can change lives just as it is. It doesn't need my help. And I believe that it can do for people this morning what it did for Nineveh back then. Just hearing the word of God, just hearing it can convert the soul, can change an entire life in a moment, just believing in God. And so if that is you this morning, if you are in that camp, there's two groups of people I want to speak to. The next one is going to be the, the more of the Jonah camp. But if you are in that Nineveh camp of like, I came in here this morning believing in God, but I've never believed him this morning. But hearing his word, I am convicted and cut to the core and I want to follow him. I want to believe. I want to have true hope in eternal life, not just hoping and wishing for the best, but knowing for a fact that I am saved because of faith in Jesus Christ. If that is you, take a physical step, raise your hand. Is that, is that you this morning? Is anybody that person that God is changing you this morning? God changed an entire city by the hearing of his word. The word of God came and people heard and believed. And as a result of that, they gave their lives to God, their faithful creator. Some of you are like Jonah this morning. You have heard God's clear word on occasions in your past and you have done the opposite thing. You have not done what God called you to do. And you know it. And God this morning is calling you again to do the hard things that you know you're supposed to do. I don't know if your strategy has been putting it off until a later date. Or just like Jonah, had no intentions of ever doing it. But you know it's important. And you hear God's merciful voice again this morning calling to you individually. You know what you're supposed to do. You know what I've called you to do. Will you do it? Will you do it? Let me pray for us that we might do what we've been called to do. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your faithful word that convicts and converts the soul. We trust in your message alone to do what it alone can do. It brings death to life. And I believe that this morning there are, there are those in this room present who are being converted and translated from death to life. I believe that there are those who are Christians who walked in here this morning believing God, but have been sleeping at the wheel, have been disobedient and ran off to a distant, faraway country when they know where they're supposed to be. They know what they're supposed to be doing. I pray that by your grace, you would renew their spirits today, that they would wake up from their sleep and begin the work that they've been called to do. Thank you for the fact that, you, that you're willing to repeat yourself. We're not owed it. We don't deserve it. But you are good. You are forgiving, 
you are relentless in your pursuit of those you love. And so please forgive us for our sins and being so slow to obey. Give us new hearts, new opportunities to do what we've clearly been called to do. Help us to know you, to love you, and to obey you. And as a, as a family, as a church, to grow closer to you. And that we would uh, live in light of that, excited, and then turn around and share the good news with other people. The same news that has saved us time and time again, that first time, and again, again, over and over from ourselves. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Pray that we continue to do its mighty and powerful work in our hearts and in our lives. Amen. The way we typically respond at Anthem, which we're going to do now, is by taking communion. We respond to hearing God's word by communing with him, the God who made us, the God who died for us. And so there are stations set up, gluten-free is in these corners. And as the band plays, we're going to make our way up. You're going to take off a piece of the bread and put it in the cup, remembering that Jesus' body was broken for you and his blood was shed for you. Jesus is the better Jonah. Jonah spent three days in the heart of a fish for his own sin. Jesus spent three days in the grave for our sin. Jonah proclaimed, yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Jesus said, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe good news. Jesus provided a good news solution to the problem. It wasn't just repent, it was believe, good news. Jesus is a better Jonah. Come be part of him and partake him. Make your way up to the table at your own uh, speed and then take communion, dip the bread in the cup, take it and return to your seat and stand and worship with us together as we respond by receiving the clear answer to the question, who knows? Who knows? We do. Jesus Christ lived, died, and rose again. We know. Enter into what we know and believe and receive from God what he has done for us.